Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, this is Sarah Gross. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Voices in My Head. I am your host, as always, Rick Lee James, and this is episode number 152, featuring special guest Walter Brueggemann. It was a great day today as I was in Cincinnati having lunch and podcasting with Walter Brueggemann, just one-on-one. Man, what an incredible opportunity. Who gets to do that? That was just an awesome thing. How generous of him to spend a couple hours hanging out with me. We shared uh, shared lots of laughs. We just talked about uh, theology. We talked about music. Uh, I had a pancake. He had soup. It was just a wonderful time. So uh, I'm really looking forward to playing today's episode for you here on the Voices in My Head podcast. If you've ever uh, read Walter Brueggemann, you know what a treat you're in for today. Um, He is even better live, I would say, just in the sense that he's so personable and uh, he just seems to exude um, a hospitality that I believe can only come uh, from somebody who really has been uh, touched in his life by a, a truly big God. And so I'm really excited to share this interview with you. Just before I do, I want to remind you um, that you can still donate to my new album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations, by going to gofundme.com slash hymns, H-Y-M-N-S. I am done recording it now. Um, we have it uh, actually, by the time you hear this, it'll probably pretty much be October, but we, we just have to have it uh, mixed, which will be happening in October, I have been informed, and uh, after that it will be mastered, and then we can get it out to you, so uh, we still are about $1,000 short. We haven't had a new donation in a long time, uh, and I'm, I'm not kidding, guys. I really do need the help if you're able to give it, so um, don't make me beg, but I'm begging, please. Um, we can use all the help we can get to release this album. Uh, lots of you have already pre-ordered and donated in advance, and I'm not asking another dime out of you guys. Uh, and as soon as I have them ready, you will get your pre-orders. But uh, if you're able to dig in and help just a little bit more, uh, you know, give it the donation level where you can get an advanced copy like everybody else, and uh, and uh, it'll all be cool. We'll get this out. But one way or another, God has been doing some really cool things. I'm hoping to have my producer, Craig Adams, on the show again uh, in the very near future so we can talk about it. Um, we had some just really I don't know what else to call them, but it's just some really great God moments in the studio where I just felt like something very special happened. Um, all of us, I think, at one point, were just kind of overcome by the moment and, and God just moving upon us. And I, I'm really excited to be able to share the album with you and how that all took place. Um, so anyway, GoFundMe.com slash hymns. If you're able to give, that would be awesome. Uh, let me know what you think of today's episode. Send me a tweet at RickLeeJames or go to my website, RickLeeJames.com. You can even go to facebook.com slash Rick Lee James or just do a search for Rick Lee James. You'll find me. I'm online. I, uh, I know how to do uh, internet technology stuff. So anyway, uh, without any further hesitation, uh, I want to say my thanks again to Walter Brueggemann. It was really an honor, just a, one of the highlights of my life to be able to spend some time with you today and and to podcast on International Podcast Day. What a what an appropriate time to be able to do that. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to Voices in My Head, and here is my conversation with Walter Brueggemann. God bless. 
Well, welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. Today, I am podcasting in Cincinnati, Ohio, at a very beautiful Episcopal church, uh, and I just enjoyed a, a wonderful lunch with uh, with Professor Walter Brueggemann, and uh, it was great to uh, to enjoy a meal with you today and to get to talk to you about some things here on the podcast today. For those of you who may not know who Dr. Brueggemann is, I find that hard to believe, first of all, but in case you don't, uh, Dr. Walter Brueggemann is surely one of the most influential Bible interpreters of our time. Uh, he is the author of over a hundred books, numerous scholarly articles. He is also a sought-after speaker, and as I found out today, he enjoys squash soup. So good. <laughs> so if you ever want to send him a gift of squash soup, that's kind of weird. Don't do that. Anyway, so <laughs> well, welcome to the Voices in My Head podcast. Thank you, Rick. I'm glad to have a chance to visit with you. Well, thank you. It's it's certainly my pleasure, and I have been uh, a fan of your writing for quite some time, so it's so nice to, to get to meet you in person. Uh, so I'll, I'll just say thank you, first of all, for your contribution to the church, and uh, I, I just have so appreciated reading. I've learned a lot from you over the years. Uh, I've had to relearn a lot, actually, um, because of things that you've written. So uh, so I want to start out by saying thank you, and uh, you have just been quite an influence on many of us. So. Well, I'm, uh, I hope that's been a positive influence. <laughs> it, it has been. It has been for sure. Yeah. Well, I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go with our discussion today. And partly the things that interest me when I get to talk to people is I just want to hear a little bit of their background to start yeah. out with. Uh, we also have several questions from people that have written in that wanted to ask you who have also been influenced by your writing over the years. So we're going to do a, a little of this and a little of that today. But let me ask you, first of all, just tell us your background, um, you know, where you come from from and then maybe sort of your faith background as well right. with that. I uh, grew up in uh, rural Missouri, uh, just east of uh, Kansas City. My dad was a, a rural pastor, uh, so I grew up uh, very much in a um, church context. And uh, then after I uh, did uh, college, I went to a seminary and on to graduate school. And uh, after I got my degree, I uh, taught uh, 25 years at a seminary in St. Louis, and then I taught another 23 years at a seminary in Atlanta, from which I uh, then retired and uh, moved to Cincinnati. I grew up in uh, a context of uh, German pietism, where uh, uh, many of the older people were uh, bilingual in German, and my father uh, preached uh, one Sunday a month in German uh, up until 1950. Uh, so my tradition is uh, very much German pietism. Hmm. Now, have you been to Germany? I uh, have been. I did a sabbatical in Heidelberg uh, one year. My my German isn't very good because uh, in the years growing up when I should have been learning it, it was the Second World War, and uh, it wasn't a good thing to be talking German. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I made another trip to Germany when I uh, uh, visited uh, my cousins on a farm in uh, Germany from whence my grandfather uh, came uh, in the 19th century. Um, so I, I think the contours of my life are, uh, are very much informed by uh, that uh, German rootage. For sure. 
Yeah. Well, it's it's very interesting. I was just thinking this morning as I was reading about the, the Syrian refugees and different ones who are fleeing. Uh, I'm sure you never would have thought as you were a child in that time that people would be fleeing to Germany uh, as, as they are now. That's right. Uh, it's and, a big uh, historical reversal, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's certainly just as sad, but uh, the, the whole situation there behind that. But fascinating the way that things will change in, in a relatively short amount of time, right. isn't it? It really is. No one could have foreseen that. No, yeah. no, not at uh, all. And uh, and it's one of those situations now where I think I, um, I've asked, well, my friend Brandon, who was going to come with me a day that couldn't, he works for Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. And, and I've, I've asked him before, I said, so what do we do? <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, I, I feel like sometimes we just uh, look at our TV or read the news and go, that's terrible. Now what do I do? You yeah, know, right. and, and so right. uh, it's, it's, uh, it was uh, very heartening to see the Pope telling people in those regions, you know, take, take in the families, yes. you know, as Christians, it's your responsibility, yeah. do this. And um, so... Uh, I think we are seeing uh, some good things happening in yeah. the midst of that, but out of such tragic circumstances. Yeah, too, that's right. Sure. And I, I think much of the news we get uh, tends to be a report on the people who don't want uh, the, the immigrants, uh, and the, the, probably the welcome of them is underreported right. in many places, I yeah. think. Very yeah. true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Well, we got sidetracked a little bit, yes. and, and very important things to talk about for yeah. sure. But uh, you were telling us anyway about your your heritage growing up and, right. and the the German roots that are in yeah. there, and then uh, so from from being a child, a, a pastor's kid like myself. Although my dad didn't doesn't speak any German as far as I know, yeah. but uh, but I'm a pastor's kid too, and we're you know pastors' kids have a certain reputation, don't they? They're, yes, they do. <laughs> they either go on to become pastors or they're the devil themselves. That's you know? right. That's <laughs> it right. Seems like. <laughs> well, <Indeed. laughs> so where did you go on um, from there? I mean, you've been speaking uh, uh, and you've been uh, a professor for many years, and yep. uh, now that you're you're retired, you still seem to be traveling quite. Well, a bit, I am. Though. I I, uh, I don't uh, teach anymore, but but I uh, do a lot of uh, stuff on the road in uh, colleges and local congregations. And I continue to write uh, at, a, at a slower pace, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm still keeping my hand in on that. So, uh, so is it yeah. true what I said at the beginning, which I took off of line on, on faith that it was true? You've written over 100 books? Well, I, I think that's probably right. It uh, Partly it depends on what you count, because I did uh, little books and study guides and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, the number gets bigger if you count everything, and it gets sure. smaller if you don't count stuff like that. Sure. So, well, uh, we'll count it. We'll allow it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the judges have spoken. They'll allow right, it. So. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yep. that's amazing. So you probably, what, a couple books a year you would have had to have averaged? In, uh, in recent years, I uh, when I started teaching, uh, I, was, um, I was teaching almost 10 years in a seminary before it ever occurred to me that I should or could write anything. Uh, so I was uh, a sort of a late starter about that. Hmm. And uh, then uh, got some momentum going after yeah, that. Sure. Um, I think it's, uh, it, was, it was a pretty easy time uh, to get started to have publishers accept things. That I think it's much more difficult now hmm. for uh, people in, in uh, theology or whatever that... Sure. If they're not known, uh, publishers are very uh, 
reluctant uh, to be doing anything about that. Well, speaking of publishing, um, you, you didn't know I was going to come prepared with this today, but talking about getting published, um, a, a friend that I've met recently uh, over online, I haven't actually met him face-to-face, but he lives in Chicago. I don't know if you've ever met David Dalt before. David but, Dalt was my student. Okay, David Dalt. That's how you know him then. That's he's, right. He's, that's uh, right. he's doing some, uh, some research into you right now. And uh, I have here something he sent uh, or, or let me use. He, he posted it the other day. And it's from 1966 from Abingdon Press. And um, it's a letter from the editor there, Emery Stevens. Um, and it's sort of a, we're going to read your manuscript, Walter, but don't hold your breath, you know. <laughs> like it's, it actually says, I'm so sorry for the delay in answering your inquiry as of June 8, but your letter was received during Dr. Buck's um, absence from the city, and I want to get reactions of our editorial staff to your study of Hosea, which you wish to submit for examination. We will be glad to take a look at what you have done if you will send us perhaps an outline of your project along with several sample chapters. It says a few other things and gets to the bottom and and it says, uh, you know, it would be dishonest of us, however, to offer much encouragement as the field in which you are writing is a crowded one uh, with us here at Abingdon. And this time we have several projects pending in the field of biblical study. <laughs> so it's very interesting. So do you remember if Abington published? The they, did not. they did that not. They did not. That was my first book. Okay. Did, and, did you uh, want to see that, by the uh, way? It's, yeah, it's just a photocopy. I, of knew, I knew that David had just been to the archives yes. at uh, Eden Seminary. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and uh, that, that book finally got published by uh, Knox Press. Uh, John Knox Press, which is now connected to Westminster John Knox Press. Okay. So they're the ones that uh, that took the the chance on me. But that was a, I don't remember this this exchange. That was pretty discouraging. Yeah, yeah, it sounds pretty discouraging. Well, you know, as as we were talking at lunch today, and I was telling you about you know publishing music, and it's it's the same way with that. Yep. You know, you. Uh, you spend, I spent a lot of time pitching songs, and then, you know, I, I've many more songs that have been turned down than I've ever had accepted, right. but you get to a point, the momentum happens, and it starts working, and it can be a, a very discouraging field when right. you're trying to get something published and worked on, That's right. uh, but I, just as an encouragement to writers that may be listening to this show, because we have all kinds of different listeners, um, be encouraged, because even Walter Brueggemann at one time was uh, was turned down. <laughs> well, I still get, I still get uh, rejection letters from time to time is that right yeah i do very interesting how did you uh get into contact with david well um when i found out i was going to be interviewing you um uh, a a mutual friend that's on facebook with me said hey you you ought to uh, patrick woolsey actually who i think maybe was a student of yours as well that's right um, Patrick uh, sent me a message and said, hey, David's doing uh, some research right now, and he might be able to uh, g- give you a couple things. And I right. was like, I'll contact him. So I did. And so he, he's been a very nice guy. We've had a few interactions just online through right. messaging and stuff. Right. But I yep. thought that letter was too good. Yes. There's another thing as well I wanted to talk to you about and, and get your memory on this. In his research, um, he was, and I'm only going to do two things from him because he's studying for a book, and I don't want to give up away right. too much. Right. Um, but I think it was in 1965, 1966, uh, you hosted a television show, um, a religious television yes. show. Yes. And, and I, that was totally new information yep. to me. I, and it was in the St. Louis area? It I was. It was in the wake of uh, Vatican II. Okay. Which sort of was my first, in, my first serious engagement with, uh, 
with Roman Catholics, and uh, uh, at that time there was a, a Catholic girls' school across the street that was run by the Sisters of Loretta, and uh, so one of uh, the wonderful uh, nuns over there who was a scripture scholar, uh, it, was, it was sort of to, to, to uh, do something modest about a Catholic and a Protestant talking. So we did that uh, television series together. Very interesting. And uh, we, we sort of uh, ranged over scripture, and, and then we reflected together on uh, Vatican II and all of that, which is interesting to be talking about this now because I think Francis... Pope Francis really is the legitimate heir of Vatican II. Oh, sure. And is picking up from John the Twenty Third. So, yeah. Yeah. What an yeah. interesting time, because you know I've always, of course, when I was in school, that's when I first heard of Vatican II, and yes. and, and I was finding like, wow, there was a lot of big stuff happening, you know, in really the Catholic was. Church at that really time was. for sure. Yep. And I think you're right. I think that we are seeing Francis in that role, yep. and and uh, and what a. Uh, what an interesting time, even that trip when he was here last week in the U.S. And, yes. uh, it, <laughs> it's just funny to see the church's reactions online or in the news. It seems yep. like some people are, you know, he's he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and other people, he's the Antichrist, you know? Yes, that's, <laughs> right. Just, that's right. And that seems to be no matter who it is, it's always uh, something like that. But yep. So so how long did that television show run? Was it a short time, or oh, was it on I, for... I have a memory that we may have run 12 weeks or something like okay. that. Okay. Yeah. And it seems like David said as he was searching through the archives, he said, I don't know how far seen it was, but he said there's at least a report of at least one person in L.A. that saw it. Oh, I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be surprised. I think it uh, I think it was quite local. So really? I, okay. I no so idea. sort of a like a local access type television show. That's right. Show. And, you know, the, the uh, requirements back in those days that, that – uh, TV stations had to carry so much religion, so sure. they were glad to have a, a program. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could have been the uh, the sort of the uh, the religious version of John Stewart or Stephen Colbert or it someone. Didn't, you it know, didn't quite work it, out it, like that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't quite. It hasn't worked out for many people like that's that right, for sure. Right. They, they're kind of special guys in their right. own, but. <laughs> Well, I have a few questions from some other people now that we've we've dug into your background a yeah. little bit here. And uh, our mutual friend, Brian Zahn, uh, who pastors in Missouri, um, he actually, I, I let him know you were going to be coming on the podcast, and he's been on two or three times himself. And I said, do you have any questions that you would like me to ask Walter Brueggemann? And he said, ask Walter Brueggemann, how crazy is Brian Zahn? <laughs> so maybe you can answer that for us. How well, crazy I, I is did. Uh, I did attend his <laughs> conference, and uh, I was very uh, uh, taken with what he's doing. Hmm. Uh, Brian uh, clearly has his head on about the faith, and uh, he is a person of enormous courage hmm. and honesty. And uh, I felt uh, really encouraged and energized by being able to be with him and by being able to be in his church. Good. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm really glad that uh, he and I were able to be into contact with each other. Well, that's, 
wonderful. I, yeah. I wish I could have been there because I, I love uh, Brian's writing. Yeah. Um, I, I actually listen to his sermons almost weekly on a, in a podcast form, yeah. Yeah. and uh, he's doing some great work. But he has a, a saying, and I don't know if it's original with him. I think it's original to him, at least the way it's said. But I'd love to get your thoughts on it. And the reason... The reason being is because you're you're kind of known for your Old Testament scholarship, of course, and uh, and this statement has a lot to say about that, especially when we're approaching views of how we look at God and that age-old question that people seem to ask about, <laughs> you know, like, why is the God in the New Testament so different than the God yeah. in the Old Testament? Yeah. Well, Brian has this great saying, and you've probably heard it before, but he says, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but we do now, or now we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it, interesting. What are your thoughts just on that statement? Because well, that's a pretty I, I think that's statement. right, and and I think um, Brian has it exactly right. What what people mistakenly try to do is to reason from God to Jesus, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, our our Christian confession runs exactly in the opposite direction. You start with the specificity mm-hmm. of Jesus, and from there we do know about God. Yes. So he who has seen me has seen the Father. Sure. I, I think that's exactly right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, a, it's a strong statement. I've always yeah. felt yeah. that way. And, right. And, and it just, but it just always seems to pop up, that whole idea of, and, and I think it's one of the easiest explanation to lay people to talk to them when they're asking those hard questions about, you know, why does God seem so mean? here and so yeah, different there yeah. I think it's a it's a, a pretty beautiful way to be able to just say um, let's start with Jesus and, yep. and see because we really do believe we see the father and and maybe um, maybe we were interpreting at the time as best as we could and as best as we knew but in Jesus we see what it's really like you know, exactly good, right good stuff yep. very good yep um, let me look in my notes real quick because I'm I'm skipping all around and uh, we're touching on some good stuff. But, oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. Um, I'm interested because I, I don't, I, and I don't know this, so I'm just going to have to ask you. Have you ever written a work of fiction before in all those over 100 books that no, you've written? No, I have written? not. I Never have. have. There be some people think some of it's fiction. <laughs> 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 my uh, my uh, pastoral therapist has urged me to uh, write fiction and I wish I could, but I, I would have no idea huh. about how to do that. So it, I love I love to read fiction, sure. but uh, that's a whole lot different from writing it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, um, we, we were talking about William Willimon at lunch, and uh, and he wrote a, a fiction book, and, yeah. uh, and it's called, um, oh, shoot, I, I think it's in Enculturation or something like that, and it's... Uh, you know, typical uh, of of him, it's very Southern humor, you right, know, type right. book too. But it deals with some very serious matters. Yeah. But yeah. it's so different than anything you know that he he had written up right. until that point. Right. And yeah. I was just curious um, because one thing that I know Dr. Willimon has talked about often. Uh, because he he does work on the pastoral theology side, is he is often telling students and people who are asking, how do I be a good preacher? And he says, read, and and read lots of fiction, read lots of fiction. How how much fiction would you say you read compared to other, or have you in the past when you were in the midst of your... your, Well, uh, I I read a lot. 
uh, and I read some fiction. My my preferred genre of reading is biography. I love to read biography, and okay. I suppose with a lot of biography, you're into fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, I've, I've just always been curious about that because it, it seems like a lot of time, even people that don't, um, that don't specifically write fiction, it's a way to help our imagination flourish. And if you're known for anything, it's obviously for prophetic imagination, that, that book that kind of turned the world, you know, took the world by storm yeah. and has, has really yeah. become associated with you on many levels. Um, but when we talk about the idea that you, you really lay into for us in those books about uh, the prophet being the poet and and there being actually very artful ways to speak about issues of our time. I'm just always curious about how much um, the reading and the imagination of fiction plays into the writing of nonfiction. Well, I, I think uh, in my in my case, I, I think it does. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I take it fiction to be the capacity to uh, entertain and host a world other than the one that's in front of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's what the prophets do. Yeah. Uh, the prophets imagine the world uh, as though God were indeed uh, the ruler of the world, hmm. uh, which is a, a huge act of imagination yeah. if you look around the oh. world. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. true. Yeah. Well, because a lot of my interest is in music, songwriting, and I and I am one who tries, and I'm sure I'm not. I'm probably unsuccessful more than I'm successful doing it. I try to be prophetic in my songwriting at times, Good. And, I, and I try. I try. I'm not saying I always do that, but we try to hear from God, and we want the words that come out to actually be from Him. Are there any, and I don't know how big of a fan you are of, of different, you know, even what type of music you like. I guess everybody loves music on some level, though. Yeah, right. Are there any songwriters or singers that you can think of in, in your time, uh, in, a, in sort of a modern context, let's say maybe over the last 80 years or so, yeah. that you've heard songs from them, and whether they were religious or irreligious, whatever, right. you heard their songs and you went, ooh, that's yeah. prophetic. Well, I was a colleague of a Brian Wren. Do you know Brian Wren's work? Uh, not very well. Uh, no. He's written a number of, of uh, hymns in the okay. last uh, couple of decades, I think. That must and, be uh, why the name is familiar to me. Yeah, then, yeah. yeah. I probably know the hymns. Yeah, and I and I and I liked his. What he tended to do is to to write new new uh, new words for old music. That's mm. what he tended to do. Nice. Uh, but I don't uh, I don't think I know of. Uh, of uh, songwriters in recent time, uh, I do love the I do love the classic hymns of the church, hmm. and uh, uh, find comfort and courage in them. Hmm. Uh, the the best of the classical hymns, and I suspect it's the best of church music in general, is that it tells the story, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I I think uh, there is some newer uh, music uh, that is so uh, abbreviated mm -hmm. that it doesn't have a plot yeah. and doesn't go anywhere. So I'm a little impatient with that. Sure. So, uh, 
Yeah. No, I, right. I understand that. Yeah. Well, I can think of, of one, and actually Brian Zahn and I discussed this one time, and I wouldn't say he's a prophet, but I think there's times where he skirts the edge of it with his songwriting, and this is way back, but Bob Dylan, uh, Brian Zahn is a huge Dylan fan, uh. and there was one song in particular we discussed, and I don't know if you ever heard it, but the song is called With God on Our Side. Uh, have you have I you familiar with that not, one? I'll have to so. I'll have to send you a link okay. to that sometime. It Good. it traces every every war every American war that we've gone through and basically how you were taught you know through everything that we've gone through God's on our side with right. us God's on our side God's right. on our side. But then the song begins asking questions. Well, but if God's on our side, then why this? You know? <laughs> yes, and why, right. yeah, exactly. So right. and it was sort of a. Uh, it's it's a hugely like controversial song in the sense of, uh, you know, I, I can't think for you. You'll have to decide whether Judas Iscariot had God on his side. You know, yeah. it's just different messages That's like good. that. But That's good. but I'm I'm always very interested to to hear because I think as a songwriter myself, I, my deepest desire is that we would say something that matters. Yes. And, and um, as wonderful as sermons are, and I'm and I'm a big fan of preachers. I, I in a huge way. I've had lots of preachers on my show. I always tell them. Um, unfortunately, though, you can be the greatest preacher in the world, and nobody's going to leave humming your sermon That's when right. they leave. That's exactly right. <laughs> so if we yeah. can put, if we as songwriters can put words in the mouths and minds of people that are worth having. Uh, maybe we can get some of those really good sermons into song form where right. people will start yep. singing them and remembering them. Yep. So I, I think it is it, it is correct to say, as people do say, that that uh, the, the living faith of the church is carried in its singing. Hmm. And yeah. uh, I think that's right. That can that's a little scary right now in some of the music that's being. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember in college, my songwriting students. Uh, at, I, I do a little bit of like guest lecturing on songwriting, and and I always bring up this song I heard in college um, when I was a, a theology student myself. And uh, thankfully, it didn't make it very far, but it was on the airwaves for a very brief time on Christian radio. And the lyrics said, "You have Jesus on your side." I know he'll make you smile and make your dreams come true the way you want them to. And, oh, and that, yeah, exactly. Good, he's a genie. That's great. He's, he's Jesus genie. I'm all for that. That's so, right. That's um, right. But yeah, it, it really it does have the potential, as much as any sermon, I think, to shape our people and, and our That's lives right. if we can do it. And I, right. I think there's a real need um, for writers, both of music and of books, to not write for the sake of profit, but to write for the sake of being prophetic right, and, right. and to allow God to really speak through yep. them for sure. Yep. Uh, well, let me get to some of our, our listeners' questions because I don't want to run out of time. And I, I could ask you questions all day, but there's a <laughs> few people that really wanted me to ask you some yeah. things. So um, this is uh, from a listener named Michael Scarlett. Uh, he's a, a fellow Nazarene minister. And he asked, how would you suggest an established congregation begin to explore the subversive nature of Christian worship for churches that don't have an ethos of corporate liturgy? Well, I'm not sure I know, I know how to answer that. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think one might start with a critical reflection on how we now do worship why are we doing what we are doing, and where did that come from, uh, and what would, how would it matter if we didn't do that? Because mm. uh, I think if we, most of the time, I don't, I don't think church people reflect at all on what they do in worship. It's just uh, 
just a habit that's taken for granted. Yes. And uh, if we can if we can critically reflect on it, uh, then we can begin to think, well, maybe there's another way to do this or a better way to do this, or that we have neglected something and we need to bring that into purview. Yeah. I think uh, another way to, to uh, think about it is to, uh, to uh, have access to uh, the way church in other cultures worship that is very different from the way we worship. Sure. I think if we had greater access, for example, to what many African communities do about worship, mm -hmm. uh, we, we would, that, that would have the function of giving us some critical distance from our own, mm. uh, which would be altogether uh, a gain. Well, I can uh, tell you from my, my brief time in Africa, it, it would start by extending our services about three hours longer. Yes, um, yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> Very yeah, interesting. Yeah. I saw a film clip of uh, 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 an Episcopal service in Australia that had blended the kind of... Uh, Book of Common Prayer from Episcopalians oh, yeah. with with the uh, worship from the uh, uh, what am I wanting to say the the orig Aborigines peoples. Oh, oh wow! And, and they had their own uh, stuff that they that they largely did in dance. Wow! And uh, you know to to open stuff up like that yeah. to experience it differently would be a huge learning yeah. for us. Well, I've I've recently, as I've been speaking, I've been trying to introduce people to the Maasai Creed. Yes. Uh, I, if you, I don't know if you've I read. I do not the, know it. You'll have to look that up, or I'll send it to you if okay. I remember a link. Good. Uh, it's a beautiful adaptation of of really the Apostles' Creed, but it's by the Maasai people. Um, I think they wrote it maybe in the forties. Yeah. And uh, it is one of the most. It's definitely. Uh, 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 Dr. Pelican, who's passed on now. Um, is it Miroslav Pelikan? I believe wrote wrote lots of yeah, books on yes, the creeds. Yes, yes. Um, and he he actually was the first one that I heard that from that Interesting. creed, and, and he had said it was his favorite in, in all of his compilations wow. of the creeds was this Maasai. And after hearing it and reading it several times, it's, it quickly became my favorite as yeah, well, very yeah. much so. Yeah. But very it's good. really amazing because uh, Pelican knew everything. Yeah, <laughs> just a walking encyclopedia. Right? Did, did you know him? No, no, I did not okay. know him. I, I read him a lot. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, he's a genius. I mean, right. just, just super yeah. smart guy. Right. Uh, this is actually from uh, a guy that was a classmate of mine at Trevecca Nazarene University, uh, Rodney Brown, uh, many years ago now. But um, he asked this question. Uh, he said, Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is a narrative that has been prevalent, a prevalent theme to much of how America shapes its citizens. In a world where huge advances have been made in forms of technology, health care, and overall happiness of life, how does one reconcile the narrative of Jesus as the alternative of such advances? Well, I, I think that the, those uh, uh, statements of the American credo are important, uh, but it seems to me that the Christian narrative uh, much more has to do with justice and mercy and compassion. Sure. And uh, 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 our, our liberty uh, has to be redefined in, in terms of neighborliness. And when we say the pursuit of happiness, uh, if we ask uh, what makes for happiness, uh, we tend to think of it in terms of quite... Uh, private and self-indulgent terms 
whereas uh, it seems to me in the in the evangelical narrative, happiness comes from having uh, viable viable communities of neighbors. Mm. Uh, so that that may be to some extent implicit in the American jargon, mm -hmm. uh, but we would do better to spell it out to say that, that really is what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, and I think. Uh, uh, what's happened to our rhetoric is that uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness has been largely distorted into pr very privatistic categories, mm -hmm. and uh, that's really a non-starter. Yeah. It won't work. I, I I wrote a song lyric one time, and I don't remember if I heard it somewhere first, but I actually used the line, life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. Yes. Uh, because I, I think that that's that right. is something that we equate happiness with that's sometimes. I think that's exactly right but it's yep. it, it can it can be the exact opposite of that it that's can right be, it can be a bottomless pit of just stuff that's that right won't lead us to that that's and, right yep. and uh, the, the christian ideal is just so different in that yeah for sure right well good words for us let me look through my questions here i want to make sure i'm i'm not skipping anything but i want to be conscious of our our time too um I just read, and I haven't had a chance, unfortunately, to get a copy of your latest book yet, but the book that I think just before that, Sabbath is Resistance. Yes. Uh, I loved that book. It was very enlightening yeah. for me. And in that book, you discuss, um, well, you really just, just talk about the way that, at least in this country, we have kind of lost the idea of what Sabbath is. Right. And I, I know at one time... Even when we were observing it more, it seemed like we weren't necessarily observing it correctly because it was like, if anything was fun, you can't do it. You right, know? right. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't play cards. Don't read the funny papers. Don't right. do things like that. Yeah. Um, maybe just explain it, if you don't mind a little bit, to our listeners. Um, I, I have a very strong desire to see, in, in my denomination, in my context, uh, I'd love to see us put the Eucharist again at the climax of our worship, right. not just once in a while, but yep. often, if possible, every time right. <laughs> we come right. together. Yep. You say something in the introduction of that book um, that has stuck with me. As a matter of fact, I shared it with my pastor yesterday when you talk about the Eucharist as sort of this ultimate form of of Sabbath keeping or right. uh, or how you describe that. I don't remember the exact language you used in that, right. but could you elaborate just a little bit for our listeners as to why the Eucharist itself sort of embodies what Sabbath is? Well, the 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 word uh, as you know, the word Eucharist itself means thanks. Mm -hmm. And to have a, a sacrament that is named thanks is an acknowledgment uh, that life comes to us from God as a gift. Hmm. And what we are doing in the Eucharist uh, is that we are celebrating the fact that life is a gift. And Sabbath is making regular time, I think, to reflect on the fact that uh, all good gifts are sent from heaven above. Hmm. When we do not keep Sabbath, I think we fall into the trap of uh, thinking uh, that our life really consists in achieving, in accomplishing, in owning, and in claiming for ourselves rather than being on the receiving end. Hmm. 
And I think uh, the Eucharist is the great drama of being on the receiving end, mm. which then evokes gratitude on our part. Yeah. Well, and I, I was thinking of that. Uh, I had just read your book on Sabbath as resistance, and um, for some reason, that part in the introduction has just stood out to me again and again. Yeah. And a couple weeks ago, I had a Sunday off, and my family, we went to a Lutheran church on Sunday morning. And my, my son, as I've told you, is two years old, so he yes. gets a little squirmy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he, he got squirmy enough towards the, the end of the service, I had to take him out in the foyer and, and walk around with him. And we came back in uh, just as they were serving uh, the Eucharist that day. And uh, we walked down front, and and we have it so infrequently in our denomination, at least in my church, I know not denomination-wide, but it's to me it's the climax of worship. To me it's what makes Christian worship Christian, you know. Right. And uh, so we went down front, and I had my son with me, and it was it dawned on me that as they were offering him communion that morning— um, wow, this is his first communion, and he's two years old, you know? Yep, right. <laughs> and, and it was that way because it wasn't like we just came up and grabbed it. They served it to us, right. you know? It's right. the whole idea of hold out your hands, re- yes. receive this as a gift. Right. Je- Jesus is the host of this meal, and I'm providing for you, That's you right. know? And That's what right. A, exactly what a, right. And, and, I, and I thought as I looked at my son, who'd been kind of squirmy and running around and <laughs> things the two-year-olds do, I thought, isn't that sort of the picture of us and God? How often he must view us as those little squirmy two-year-olds right. running around. Right. And yet how desperately, you know, we, we need the sustaining meal of grace that God provides. That's right. You know, what That's it, right. It, it, yeah. It's just so necessary. Yeah. So I loved that word picture, the way that you tied in Sabbath um, as, as a form of resistance. And, and really it's a form of resisting all the things that the, that the world wants to pull us into. You That's know? Right. It's a whole idea of, as I've heard it called before, you know, keeping Sabbath may be a waste of time, but it's a holy waste of time. That's, right. That's exactly right. It surely is. That's right. And, uh, and even talking yesterday with somebody, uh, it was actually my pastor. His, my pastor's father is, is not long for this world. He's dying of cancer right now. Yeah. And we were just talking about what it means, you know, that this Sunday we're going to be celebrating communion in our service and what it means that um, even in the midst of cancer in the world, on on the Sabbath, we come before and say, you know what, uh, cancer is not God. That's you right. Know, it's That's it's right. not. And this, right. this day is his and we acknowledge we need to be fed from heaven today. That's right. You know, That's right. so well, the, they, the uh, image I have of that from, uh, I think it's. Psalm 145, those verses that function as a, often as a table pair, the eyes of all wait upon you and you give them their food in due season. And the image I always have when I, when I hear those verses, it's, it's like little birds who are sitting in their nest with their mouths open waiting for food to be flown in yeah. by the mother bird. Yeah. We're like that. Oh, yeah. 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 What a great image. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, let me end with one final question. You've been so generous with your time today, and I'm always interested in this because I know uh, I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for anybody else. But I feel like in my lifetime, um, 
I have changed significantly as a person over decades, you know, as time has gone by and my thinking has changed. And so my question to you is, um, and, and I've even, I've written songs I don't agree with anymore. I've preached sermons in the past I don't agree with anymore. (laughs) And I'm always interested to find just what defines us now. At this point in your life, can you think of something that you believe strongly now that maybe you didn't? years ago that yep. you know has sort of changed in your thinking and evolved well i i think that um my awareness of the uh largeness of an ecumenical vision of humanity uh is much larger than i thought before hmm. uh i've been um thinking a lot about a verse in in the prophet Micah where he's talking about the streaming of all nations to Jerusalem Mm -hmm. and then he says um, all the nations will come and each will walk in the name of its own God and we will walk in the name of the Lord Mm -hmm. what's astonishing to imagine is that all these other people with their other religions and their other gods all of us will be walking on the path to justice and peace together, hmm. and uh, I, th- I think that's a, a largeness of an of an ecumenical vision uh, toward which I think I continue to grow, hmm. uh, and um, and a ways to go. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's a big move for it sure. Is. I mean it's it uh, to start thinking of the world. Um, in broader ways like that. I mean, right. it, it, it's gotten a lot of, you know, even C.S. Lewis, that the, the final battle, the book where there's this controversial scene among the church of, you know, the, the final judgment scene as, as he puts it in there and, and people who didn't serve Aslan are starting to be welcomed in yes, <laughs> and they're right. having to struggle. Well, what does that mean? What if God gets to decide who salvation's for? Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. What if I don't get to decide that? Yep. It's kind of a... <laughs> yep. That's right. That's right. Yep. Uh, just to close on a humorous note, uh, I know that you mentioned uh, you spoke one time at my alma mater at Trevecca University yes. in Nashville, Tennessee. And I don't know if you even remember this, but once, you know, there's probably got to be one in every crowd. Uh, the story is legendary among my friends. And even though I wasn't there that day, I had friends that were. And so maybe you remember this, maybe you don't. Um, there was a question and answer time on the floor and somebody got up to ask you a question and instead of kind of going deep and and that's the other funny thing by the way I feel like a lot of times people ask questions and you have to fight to figure out what the question is right like I'm doing right now Um, somebody got up I think it was a pastor on the district and they asked you if you died tonight do you know for sure you'd go to heaven (laughs) Was question? Do you remember what your reply was? I do not. Okay, I'm going to tell you what it was. Okay. I, oh, first, let me ask you, uh, and then I'll tell you what you said after that. But if if someone were to ask you that right now, how do you think you would respond? Um, I would respond by saying, um, when I die, it will not change the reality that God is God. Spot on. That's exactly what you said then. Did I say that? You did, (laughs) yes, because we thought that was such a brilliant answer. Yeah, yeah, because our our, uh, want about death and all that is to give an answer about us. Yes. When the the truth of the matter is that the real answer 
is about the reality of God. Mm. So I guess I haven't changed my mind about that. I guess that. you haven't. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Well, what a great, uh, I think that's a good way to close our show good. with the reminder that God is still God and we are still not. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> In the that's midst right. Of that. Well, this has been a real pleasure. And as I always say to my guests every week, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you, Rick. <laughs> You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.